0: scripture reading for today comes from uh, the book of Acts, sometimes known as the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I often like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he creates the church. Starting in chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did for both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So far, the reading of God's Word. Today we begin a new series that we're going to continue for approximately eight weeks. It's called Make Your Mark, and uh, thanks to Linnea who was uh, bugging me for weeks about a possible outline or something that you could take notes on if you so desire. There was one in your worship folder today, the first one. This series is about learning to live your life in such a way that you would actually leave a legacy when you go, which, by the way, hopefully is not for a long, long time. Some of you may be familiar with Steve Jobs. He is Apple's visionary leader. He often used the phrase, let's make a dent in the universe. Now, he was talking about what we'll be talking about in this series, living a life that leaves a mark in the world around you. And as we study through the book of Acts, we're going to focus on eight purposes that we should consider adopting in order to reach our full potential as Christ followers. These purposes are all found, like I said, in the book of Acts and can be observed in the lives of the leaders of the early church. Now, there's a reason why the church actually started with a handful of discouraged men and within centuries had become a global force for good. It had nothing to do with political or military strength. It had everything to do with the unstoppable force that comes from a life that's changed through Jesus the Christ. Now, in this series, we're going to talk about these eight purposes. You're going to be challenged to adopt them as your own. We'll also be talking about how we as a church can also take on these values and put them into practice as we continue to reach out to our community today we're going to take a look at something that the Apostle Peter said about Jesus, something that should influence each of us greatly. But first, I want to ask you three questions, three questions. Here's question number one. If you could sum up your life up to this point in a single sentence, how would you do it? being as accurate as possible just between you yourself and the God who knows you how would you summarize your life up to this point for example would you say uh i have a tendency to take the easy way out all the time or i've always looked out for myself or i've dotted every i and crossed every t i've kept all the rules and made sure that i stayed even with the house or I'm really a pretty magnanimous soul. I mean, the type of person who comes along once in a lifetime. I mean, how would you, in one sentence, describe yourself up to this point in life? Second question is, how would those closest to you summarize your life up to this point? Now, I'm not talking about your enemies. I'm talking, I'm not even talking about your frenemies. You know, those, uh, friends who really aren't very friendly. But how would they summarize your life up to this point? Not long ago, my wife described me to someone else. She said, well, let's see. My husband is kind of an anomaly when it comes to pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. In other words, I'm just not quite like all the rest. I think that's what she was saying. I hope she didn't say I was nuts. Uh, but that's a distinct possibility, too. I mean, for example... Would somebody say about you? You know they've got a good heart, but you can't always count on them. Or man, she's got an explosive temper. So you just got to stay out of her way. Or whenever you're in a jam, this is one person you can really call. And question number three is this: How would you want uh, your life to be summarized? This is kind of looking beyond today, uh, toward the totality of life. When all is said and done, and your time to cross the Chilly Jordan comes to be, what would you like said about you? A number of years ago, when my daughter-in-law's father died suddenly, had gone outside to mow the lawn, came in, sat down in the chair and died. After we gathered for the funeral, we had a discussion. And it was, what would you want on your tombstone someday when you die? Now, you won't understand this joke unless you live up north. Somebody around the table said, sausage and mushrooms. Now, that's because tombstone is a very famous pizza up in Wisconsin and northern Illinois. But we began talking about it. And my kids said, we think we're going to put on Dad's tombstone, still crazy after all these years. Now, it was at that point that I determined that I was going to make sure that whatever was on my tombstone was what I wanted on it. And so, someday, if you're around and you come to my funeral and you see my tombstone, it's going to have my name. When I was born, when I entered eternal rest, and underneath, it will probably say, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. I mean, how would you want your life to be summarized? I mean, not only by yourself or other people, but also your Heavenly Father. Now, I know we'd all like to hear, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. That would be a great thing. But when your thoughts, your deeds your motives your intentions your accomplishments are all put on a scale what would you like the evidence of your life to suggest that it was all about now when jesus was among us he told us exactly what his life was all about and of course we see it in his actions we see it in a couple of bible verses one of them he says in luke 19 for the son of man and by the way son of man is his favorite term for himself in the bible it picks up from Daniel's prophecy. But the Son of Man came to do what? Seek and to save that which was lost. Also in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Kind of summarizes his life. See, that's what Jesus' life was all about. He came to seek those whose lives had been wrecked by sin, uh, to save them and to fill their lives with purpose and meaning. Now, that's why we're here today. I mean, this room has got people in it who once were lost but now are found, who once were maybe sinking deep in sin, but have been saved uh, from the treacherous waves and have been lived, um, and lifted to life by his love. See, that's what Jesus' life, his death, and the resurrection are all about. And if you're not quite there yet, if you haven't yet had that experience, if you still feel like you're wandering around in darkness from time to time or sinking in sin, I want you to know that Jesus can make a difference in your life. He can make your life exactly What it was meant to be. I told somebody not long ago that Jesus cares, Jesus understands, and Jesus wants to help you. It's just that simple. Now, let's go back to the question about how one might summarize your life. Now, shortly after the death of Jesus, Peter was invited to the house of a man whose name was Cornelius to talk about the Christian faith. Now, Cornelius was a Roman soldier He was not a Jew, but he was considered, at least in the book of Acts, as being a God-fearing person. Now, when it says God-fearing person, it meant that he followed the Jewish moral code, like the commandments, but he did not necessarily follow the dietary or the sacrificial code. The Bible also said that he was very generous to the poor, and he prayed to God regularly. But then one day, Cornelius has this vision. And in the vision, an angel tells him, in effect, your good deeds have been not gone unnoticed. And if you really, really want to know what life in God is all about, you need to talk to a man named Peter. So Cornelius dispatches a few of his soldiers uh, to Peter, uh, gets Peter to come to his house. Peter preaches a short sermon. And that day not only was Cornelius saved, and baptized, but his entire household was saved and baptized, and they were all, the scriptures say, filled with the Holy Spirit. So he went from being merely a God fearing Gentile to being a spirit filled follower of Jesus the Christ. Now, that, that's a really cool story, and I, I would encourage you to go back and read the whole story sometime this week. But today we're going to zero in on just one little phrase that was spoken by Peter to Cornelius about Jesus. He summarized the life of Jesus in such a simple yet elegant way that it ought to inspire us to live the same way. After all, we're his followers. So this is what Peter had to say. In Acts chapter ten thirty-eight. we find him talking to Cornelius, telling him all about Jesus, how he preached throughout Judea. And he said to him, tells him about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, I have made bold there the key phrase. He went around doing good because God was with him. I mean, what a wonderful, incredible way to summarize a life. I mean, there, there are many things about Jesus, of course, that we can never duplicate, we can never imitate. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but my birth was not announced by angels. And John, I seriously doubt that there was a star over a delivery room in Weatherford or wherever you were born. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that any of you, I don't care whether you're one of our older members like Margaret, I don't know if you ever walked on water. Uh, none of us is perfect. None of us is without sin. None of us is without blame. None of us will die for the sins of the whole world. Although surprising, a lot of Christians try to tr- climb on that cross every once in a while and suffer for other people. We cannot duplicate the divine nature of Jesus, and yet we're called to be imitators of Jesus. Now, how on earth are we supposed to do that? Well, I think we find the answer in those simple little words. He went around doing good. Now, if that's the best way to summarize the life of Jesus, then it should also summarize the lives of those people, his followers, we go around doing good. Now, you probably have no idea who Luke Cameron is. Luke Cameron is a young man who lives in the U.K., Britain. At the end of 2013, a woman who had been kind of like a second mother to him died of cancer. Luke was so devastated, and as a way of honoring her life and honoring her memory, he resolved to do a good deed every day. And he began his project on January the 1st. 2014. His first good deed was saying Happy New Year uh, to the woman who served him at a local cafe. That's kind of an inauspicious beginning. Now, over the following weeks and months, he continued to seek out every opportunity he had to be able to do at least one good deed each and every day. For example, one day he bought food for a homeless person. He gave Spare change to a woman who didn't have enough money for a parking meter. He baked cupcakes and sent them to friends and family. He took out his neighbor's trash for him, picked up litter at the park. Every day, at least one good deed for 365 days. Now, I found out about it because I stumbled across his blog. He blogged about this, believe it or not, primarily as a way to kind of keep himself accountable as well as to try to inspire other people to do it, too. Now, of course, whenever you have a blog, and I can tell you from experience, by blogging about something, you will also attract a certain number of critics who will ridicule and they ridiculed him, and they accused him of being an attention hound. But, you know, what can you do? After all, as they say, haters gonna hate. Uh, however, his habit of doing good every day, a good deed every day, took root in his life, and it has phenomenally changed how he looks like all my life. I have heard people say, well, that's my good deed for the day. You ever heard that before? That's my good deed for the day. Now, no doubt you've heard it uh, because most people think it comes from the Boy Scouts. Now, anybody here was a Boy Scout beside me? OK, those of you that were Boy Scouts know uh, that uh, Scouts probably know better. Uh, Scouts don't teach the concept really of doing one good good deed a day. They do a good Turn every day, every opportunity. And this philosophy permeates the scouting program. In fact, it's because of a philosophy that scouting came to America in the very first place. There's an American by the name of William Boyce. He was visiting the United Kingdom, got lost on the street one day in London fog. A young boy that Boyce described as a street urchin approached, saluted him and said, may I be of service to you, sir? Sir? Well, Mr. Boyce told him that he was lost and would like to be able to find such and such an address. The boy said, follow me, sir, and led him through the fog to the building that he was looking for. And when they, he reached in his pocket to give the boy a coin as a reward, the young man merely saluted him and said, sir, I am a scout. Scouts don't accept tips for courtesies. And Boyce said, you're a what? What? He said, I'm a scout, sir. You don't know what scouts are? And he said, no, but I'd like to. And so the boy waited for Mr. Boyce to finish his business errand. Then he took him to the scout's office where he learned all about this unique organization. And it wasn't long after he got back to the States that the Boy Scouts of America were born. Now, just think of all the good things that the Boy Scouts of America have done. And then consider the fact that it was a street urchin committed to doing a good turn at every opportunity that actually made that possible. Now, all I'm saying today is that every believer, every church should adopt this value as their own. Just like Jesus did, we need to go around doing good at every opportunity. Now, uh, many of you have heard of John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley, a great hymn writer, Uh, Is a former Anglican priest, he became the founder of what we know today as the Methodist Church. In the 18th and 19th century, his uh, ministry led to a great big revival, not only in Great Britain, but it also spawned one of the first really big revivals here in America. Thousands upon thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what John Wesley had was a rare ability to cut through I guess what we'd call religious ritualism and meaningless formalities, and instead focusing on what it really meant to be a Christ follower. And he summarized the Christian life in three simple rules that every committed Christian needs to live by. And you can hear them in just a few words, and they're this. One of the things he said was, do no harm. Do no harm. And he said, we do this by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced. You know, sometimes when a sinful behavior hits critical mass, and boy, we've got it going on in our country today, we fool ourselves into thinking that it must be all right. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. Now, Wesley wanted believers to understand that just because everybody else is doing it does not make a sinful activity right. He's saying that a faithful Christ follower will not do anything That would ultimately harm other people. Now, one of uh, Google, you all familiar with Google and the search engine? One of Google's foundational statements is is similar. Early on, they developed a motto that said, don't be evil. Now, they saw many corporate giants as exploiting and taking advantage of other people. They didn't want to be a part of that. Now, I don't know how well they've lived up to that, because they seem to know everything there is to know about your life and my life. But it's kind of an admirable (laughs) uh, aspiration for any business. Wesley also gave the second one. He said, that's do good. Do good. Um, We should be as merciful as we have the power to be and at every opportunity to do good in every possible way to all. Now, you might ask yourself, where did John Wesley get this idea? Well, he got it from Jesus, who did what? Went around doing good. His third rule was stay in love with God. Stay in love with God. He said we do this by attending uh, all the ordinances of God. Now, we don't use the word ordinances today. We might use the word spiritual disciplines. In other words, he would say that every day we should attend to things like prayer and Bible study and worship and fellowship and service. So Wesley's message was to believers that if you will follow these three simple little rules, do no harm, do good, stay in love with God, you will ultimately become a more effective disciple of Jesus Christ. Now these rules are pretty simple. They're relatively easy to live by. In fact, they sometimes, uh, can almost seem well, maybe a little bit out of reach. But nevertheless, every last one of us here today are capable of following those three rules. Now could you imagine how your lifestyle might change if you followed those three things? Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. Can you imagine what your lifestyle would be like if, at every possible time, you did good at every opportunity? Now, in closing, I, I want to look again at today's text, and there are three phrases tucked away in here that are essential to living this kind of life. It's, and back in the text, it says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase. It's like God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. and this is and then he went around doing good. Now, because the power uh, because God was with him. And in this verse, we see that in order to have a doing good at every opportunity lifestyle, there are three truths that we need to keep in mind. And the first of these is it requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about the work of the Holy Spirit. But what we see again and again is in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is our power source. In fact, Jesus says himself in Acts one eight, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit enables you to do things that you weren't able to do before. Like show compassion that doesn't come naturally. Or being courageous when you might have been full of fear. Or to be bold when you really would prefer being timid. Or to be generous when it's your nature to be selfish. The Holy Spirit anoints you with the power to do the work of God. Now, when I look at this, I want you to think about it this way. If Jesus, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need it? So we can make this our prayer every day. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Anoint me with the Spirit. Give me the power to do the things that I otherwise would be powerless to do. See, when a church or an individual makes it their mission to go around doing good, they soon find that it's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, because he changes a mere good deed into a God deed, an act of kindness or mercy or generosity that changes the course of people's lives. But you can't do it on your own. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. But here's truth number two. It often leads you into spiritual battle. This is the bad news. He so said he went around doing good and healing all who were under what? The power of the devil. That's something I want you to understand. We're not just talking about shallow, surface-level do-goodism. We're talking about spiritual warfare. See, when you commit to going and doing good at every opportunity, you're going to find yourself in some situations that only God can get you through. I mean, people are going to come into your life. They've come into my life. You might say, well, it's just because you're a pastor. And I don't know if it's necessarily become a pastor. I just may be more visible. But people will come into your life who are under financial oppression. And maybe you can help them out. But it might mean that you just have that you have to spend a little less on yourself. I mean, people are going to come into your life that will struggle with depression or loneliness or grief, and you're going to have to make the opportunity to help them out, but it might mean that you have to let go of some of your free time. There may be times when you have the opportunity to help someone who's gotten themselves into a sinful, destructive, and dangerous lifestyle. The temptation may be at that point to say, good luck with that, see you later. But if you're really committed to doing good at every turn, you're going to end up standing with people in the darkest moments and you're going to walk with them through what we would call in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. Let me give you a little illustration from one of our uh, Lutheran missionaries. This missionary recently wrote about a young man that he'd led to Christ uh, who was deeply entrenched in gang life. And this young man had been involved in some pretty serious, uh, pretty violent situations and then he started coming to church. And wondering if God could ever possibly forgive him. Now, the missionary did everything that he could do to help this young man get his life moving in the right direction. He helped leading to Jesus. He baptized him. He helped him take his very first discipleship steps. And then things got real, as they said. The young man was told that if he tried to leave the gang, they would kill him. And the missionary was told that if he didn't stay out of the situation, if he didn't keep his nose where it belonged, they would kill him too. I understand that's the way it works sometimes. You make it your mission to go around doing good, but you will from time to time find yourself in a really tight spot. Now, that's why I say this isn't some sort of a kind of a Pollyanna sermon about let's all do good and be nice to each other, because it doesn't always work that way. A commitment to going around doing good... um, Requires courage. It's not for the faint of heart because sometimes you come face to face with utter darkness. Now you might be wondering what did that missionary do? Well, this is what he did. He sent his wife and his children back to the States to visit her parents for a while and he kept on doing his job and he's still there today. See, doing good requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It often leads in the direction of a spiritual battle. That's why you need the Spirit. And third, it's also an evidence of God's presence in your life. So when you walk with God, it's impossible not to want to do good. You really want to help other people. Now just like Jesus said in Matthew 10:8, "Freely have you received, freely give." See, a natural result of God's presence in your life is that you would like to really be a blessing to other people. That's why there's more to this sermon than just merely say, let's go around doing good. Because the fact is, guess what? None of us are really all that good. I mean, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But needless to say, we are still called to do that. I shared a little story in Bible class this morning. I'm going to share it again. I had to do it with my daughter. I uh, had one of those wonderful... Privilege the other day, my daughter called me and asked me whether she could take me out for lunch. And it's kind of a cool thing when your kids are old enough that they not only take you out for lunch, but they pay. I mean, that's kind of the double bonus. But we had a really interesting conversation. Part of the conversation came around to her saying that maybe she'd actually learned some things from me over her life. And part of that was when somebody's having difficulty, we don't need to just jump right in and beat them over the head with Jesus that we are really called to build some relationships between others. I always say, build a bridge between you and another person, and hopefully someday Jesus will walk over that bridge. And part of that, you build that just by uh, being a, I guess we call it a good person, doing good things. Well, My daughter is a uh, human resources director for one of the top five accounting firms in America, and one of the ladies in her company was needing to leave and go back to the country of Belize, where she had to take care of her mom and dad, who were not good help. And Terry asked this lady, is there anything this company can do for you to help your exit go better and maybe to help you get on to the next place where you're going? And she said, the gal looked at her and said, you seem to be a person of compassion. She said, are you a woman of faith? And Terry's comment was, yeah. Well, the upshot of that was, uh, well, what can you do as a woman of faith? And Terry told her, I can pray. And they had a chance to be together and prayed for this woman who didn't necessarily know God, knew who God was, didn't really know Jesus enough to accept him, but indicated that she was willing to look more into it. Because if this is the way women of faith, people of compassion, treated other people, This God was worth knowing. See, that's just how simple it works from time to time. You know, last Friday was what? It was Good Friday. The day that we remembered the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, I have people ask me all the time, why do they call it Good Friday? Well, Isaiah 53 helps us out a little bit. It's because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, being good is not something that you and I can accomplish on our own. In fact, many times, the more we try to do good, the more we mess up. And I can tell you that because you know, it's like, been there, done that, I own the T-shirt. And I know that there are some here who would say to me, me, you want me to go around doing good? I mean, I don't have, I don't even have control over my own life. I mean, what good could I possibly do in somebody else's life? Well, see, that's why Good Friday and Easter Sunday are so very important. When Jesus died on that cross on a late Friday afternoon, somehow, some way, all the sins of the world were laid upon his shoulders, past, present, and future. And I mean, your sins, my sins, every sin ever committed was laid on him. And when he died, guess what? The power of sin died with him. He paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. He was laid in that tomb, and then on Sunday morning, his dead body suddenly came to life. A different kind of life, a resurrected life that proved once again and for all that he had the power to overcome sin and death and Satan. Now, even though you and I don't really have it in us to be all that good, what Jesus desires to do is to pour all of his goodness into all of us. He wants to be in your heart and to live there through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've often used the term when I teach in Angola, I always call the Holy Spirit the resident president. He is the one who lives inside of me, and he is the one who governs my life. He is the president. I'm not the president of my life. He wants you to be able to go around doing good because, after all, he is in you. Now, some people here today maybe have never quite thought about it that way, not made that connection. Uh, it's very possible, I don't care where you would preach. I could be preaching at the largest Lutheran church in America today, or in the world. I could be preaching at the smallest Lutheran church in America today. And there may be people who have come to church maybe every day since they were born. And they've got 70 years of pew plopping in. And there may be some people who only show up every once in a while. And you've never really kind of made that one-on-one connection yet with the risen savior. And and so because of that, because of that the idea of going around and doing good at every turn seems maybe just a little bit out of reach for you. And that's why maybe part of the reason for these messages to invite people to make that connection with Jesus. You know, drawing on the Holy Spirit's power and his leading, it's as simple as turning from the past, whatever that may be, and asking him to come into your heart today to forgive your sins and just what, what, what David said, created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, give me this new life. Help me to change. Give me a new future, a new hope, a new purpose. To be able to go around, and not because it's going to earn me anything, but just to do good at every opportunity as a reflection of my great love for you. Now, if you're already somebody you'd say, well, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. I, it's always, always good to be reminded. I need to be reminded of this every once in a while. Uh, that God's presence in your life gives you the power to live according to that principle. I and mean, if you're committed to doing it, believe me, opportunities will show up. I don't know how many times I have prayed that God would put an unsaved person in your path sometime, someplace a week. And then just give you what a special measure of the spirit that you can actually maybe bring Jesus to bear. When I fly, I, I'm kind of a Dramamine flyer. I'd just soon be left alone, take my Dramamine and sleep. But I realized a couple of years ago that that's a very a very selfish way to travel. And so I actually started asking my congregation, you know, I'm going to be flying to Indianapolis this week to do such and such, or I need to be down in Florida for a consultation this week. Would you pray that God put an unbeliever in the seat next to me? And then would you give me, that God would give me a special measure of the spirit that maybe in some way I might be able to share Jesus along the way. Now, I could tell you a few stories about how that backfired on me. I mean, when you sit next to somebody who's reading the Nation of Islam newspaper, you're not going to get very far. Or one time I got bumped to first class and spent my entire time flying home with T.D. Jakes. Pastor, one of the largest Christian churches here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. All that was wonderful. But I've also had some people who really needed to talk to somebody who cared and somebody who could share with them about somebody who cared about them too. See, sometimes it's just as simple as letting somebody merge in front of you in, in heavy tra- traffic. Maybe that's your way of doing good. Or sometimes it's going to be as challenging as, as walking with somebody through the darkest times of their life. Now, I asked you earlier, I gave you three sentences, you know, how how you might summarize your life up to this point. Maybe the response wasn't something you actually felt good about. Maybe it was. I don't know. But here's the good news. You can change the answer. You can change the answer starting today. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the power to do it. And the reason you can do it is because God is always with you. And so you can go around doing good in such a way That defines the mark you made on the world around you. So there's the first challenge in these eight weeks. Go around doing good at every opportunity. May God bless all of us in that pursuit. Amen.